Okay, today we have Exodus 10 through 12. I'm going to try to avoid just giving the play-by-play -play because obviously you read it for yourself and there's not a lot of reason for me to do that. Sometimes it's just, I just don't have a lot of comment and so I fall into just saying what happened. Um, but the something that does stick out to me early on in uh, Exodus 10 is that he's doing all these things, God is doing all these things, so that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among you, that you may know that I am the Lord. So he's setting up a, a big kind of inception story, a, a beginning to a people. He's establishing them with an identity based on God's salvation, God's provision, uh, God's leadership. So th there's an important reason why he, they go through all this uh, rather than he could have made events where he just, you know, they all just kind of walked out and Pharaoh was okay with it and they just kind of moved out. But they wouldn't have the the big story to be remembered generation after generation of how God has set apart this people. And so that's that's kind of uh, what he's saying here is the important reason they're going through all this. And so now it's the time of the locust and uh, when, when they make this threat, the uh, the servants of Pharaoh are saying, what are you doing, Pharaoh? You know, now they're politicking for Moses, saying we, we can't take any more of these these things. Let them go. Uh, but Pharaoh's heart is hard. Pharaoh's willing to let the men leave, but not all the people of Israel, because he realizes they're going to take off and not be his slaves anymore. And uh, so the Lord says to Moses to bring on the locusts. So once again, Pharaoh you know, comes to Moses and says, please ask the Lord to stop the locust. He admits he sinned, but then once Moses has the Lord uh, remove the locust, Pharaoh's heart is hard. One thing that just struck me is that when the people of Israel came into Egypt, it was a time uh, with with God's blessing on Joseph that they had plenty when um, everyone else had little and as they leave Egypt, they're they're pretty devastated, and the the people of Israel uh, come out with plenty, and so that's kind of an interesting juxtaposition. Uh, the next, you know, I don't know if plague's the right word, but the next thing to come is uh, just total darkness for three days, and it's pretty scary and creepy and difficult to move around in I guess so again Pharaoh comes to Moses and this time he's willing to let him take all the people just not all the animals and Moses says no we need all the animals and so Pharaoh is about had enough and said get out get away from me if I see your face again you're gonna die and Moses says you're right I'll never see your face again and then we move into chapter 11 so this is what I was referring to a minute ago when I said that the people came out rich or however I said it, um, the, the, the Lord tells Moses to tell the people to go to their neighbors and just ask for stuff. And so their neighbors are, uh, you know, the Lord is, is giving them favor with their neighbors. So their neighbors are giving them silver and gold and probably other things. So that when the people come out of Egypt, they're pretty rich. 
Meanwhile, we know all the crops and livestock of Egypt have been decimated. So, I mean, it, you know, Egypt's still a powerful country, so there'd be more crops and they'll figure out how to get more livestock. Um, but, for, you know, they're pretty decimated when they leave. So I just find that kind of interesting that uh, when they had the favor of the people of God through Joseph, they became extremely rich uh, comparatively with everyone else around the known world. Um, when they were against the people of God, they end up being decimated. You can see that historically uh, throughout the world and in, in parts of the world where the, the church has raised up, you've seen uh, blessing and provision um, when people, you know, we're in a, a time in this country where we've really turned away from the world and there's just more and more judgment and severe judgment is coming. Um, but you, you, you kinda, I don't want to take too much time to break that down, all the different countries, all the different examples, but you see that happen over and over again throughout time and all the globe. Now, it's unclear to me if this is the same conversation with uh, between Moses and Pharaoh here in chapter 11, or if he did come back after he said he wouldn't see his face again. But then he explains the last uh, so-called plague, uh, which in this case is the killing of the firstborn of, of man and beast. And... Uh, And then, he, you know, he says, this is going to be it. Now we're going to be able to go. And, uh, you know, he and Pharaoh are angry at each other. and But Pharaoh's still not going to listen. And so God says, my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And so, you know, Moses and Aaron performed all the miracles, but Pharaoh's heart was hard. And uh, so that brings us into chapter 12. So this is an important chapter. Um... Uh, the Lord gives Moses and Aaron uh, understanding of the the Passover. So it's both something they're about to live through, and it's an ordinance to be carried out uh, forevermore. And it is a clear picture of uh, what Jesus fulfilled. So even if you talk to a, an Orthodox Jew today who has not accepted Jesus as his Messiah, they will tell you that the Passover and the other major feasts are rehearsals. Um, what they don't understand is the rehearsal, you know, of course, so they understand it's a rehearsal for something. But what they don't understand is this rehearsal was fulfilled by Jesus. And so I'll go through this in, in a little bit of detail. Um you know, he's saying basically you're going to start your counting of the calendar, the months, uh, according to this day. So this is not the New Year Day. They have, they have uh, a couple different ways of counting the calendar. But he's saying in one way, this will be the way that you start your new year. And on the 10th of this month, they're to take each a lamb for themselves, according to the father's household, a lamb for each household. And he makes provision for, you know, houses that are too small that can't eat a lamb in, in one. And so this talks about, you know, community and uh, taking care of each other so that uh, each, each one is, a, is accounted for in the community of God. And it, it's supposed to be in verse 5, an unblemished male, a year old. So it's supposed to be a perfect lamb. 
Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb. So he's the only one of us people who lived a perfect life, a sinless life. And so that's, you know, that's pointed to here in the unblemished lamb. Then he speaks to, he's, you know, kill it at twilight, put it, put its blood on your doorposts. So it's by the blood of the lamb, by the blood of Jesus, that we are saved and have our passageway into his eternal life. And it, it is by this, this blood that these people Israel are saved so that their firstborn son is not killed while the firstborn sons of all of Egypt are killed. And so you see that this is Jesus taking the place, this Passover lamb taking the place of the uh, people here. We, we saw a picture of this with Abraham and Isaac when God says, I will, I will provide a sacrifice. You do not have to kill your promised son. I will provide the sacrifice. You see the same picture here where now each family is going through Something's sort of similar to what Abraham had to do. They didn't have to go through quite the testing of faith that Abraham did. But they they had to do it. If they didn't do it, they were going to lose their son. They had to go through this process of sacrificing the lamb, putting the blood on the doorpost so that their firstborn son was not killed. So that this lamb is the sacrifice for their son, just as Jesus is the sacrifice for us. You see how this, this theme permeates all of time and history and just the reality that is this life. And he gives a special way that it must be cooked. It must be cooked by fire. So to me, this this represents the baptism of fire that Jesus went through and that we are to go through. This, this purging and cleansing, making us holy and righteous as we follow the Lord. That This work that he does in us, that he did in Jesus, certainly. Jesus was made perfect through suffering. Uh, that's pictured here in how they are to cook the lamb. They're to eat it in haste, ready to go. So again, we're all always to be to be living in the moment and, and ready for what God has next for us. Not sitting around thinking, oh, we're blessed, we're saved, I'm just going to live a worldly life uh, because I'm saved. No, we're always supposed to be attentive to what is God saying now. And the verse 13 talks about the blood will be assigned to you. And of course, when we take communion, we are taking in the blood of Jesus, the Passover lamb, every time. And then it moves into talking about the unleavened bread. And of course, when we take communion, we're taking in bread. Now, this is a particular type of, of bread that might not necessarily be always what we do at communion. Um, but the the unleavened bread is showing that is it is without the leaven of sin, for that Jesus was without that. So leaven is yeast, and it is a a, a picture that Jesus uses often. Uh, he uses it to explain how both both good and evil multiply. So yeast or leaven. Uh, multiplies dough and makes uh, dough or bread puff up and he talks about the yeast of the pharisees which can you know the the religious ways that can infect us and turn us into religious 
worldly robots so that we we think we're good because we have religion and we go about living a worldly life just as long as we don't break certain rules he's saying how jesus warns us of that evil uh, but he also talks about the uh the kingdom being like leaven that a little bit of leaven or a little bit of yeast put in the dough if given time multiplies it way through the whole thing so in that picture he's talking about how God's kingdom will multiply in us the more we give ourselves to him the more it multiplies within us and the more dramatically we are changed so the yeast is a is a common uh, picture in scripture but here it's the unleavened bread is is showing us that Jesus was without sin but it, it's also a picture to sh- showing that they had to leave in a hurry they had to be continually dependent on God and his leading and be ready to move when he said to move they didn't have time for bread to rise so that's the kind of immediate meaning behind this it's pretty amazing God established this uh, this ordinance of Passover and and, um, and keeping the Passover and it's um, not exactly I mean uh, I don't think most people um, actually get a lamb and kill it and put blood on the doorpost but um, to a large extent, people all over the world today, Jews, some Christians, keep to this, uh, this right. And like 3,500 years later, it's, it, it's really amazing. When you see the Jewish people and how they were continually moved all around the world, and yet they kept to the ways of God, in my mind, it show, clearly shows that God is God, <laughs> that he is sovereign, and his will is being done, because people groups throughout history have been moved all the time, and what ends up happening is, they just assimilate, and they're gone, they're, you know, their their DNA passes forth into the people that are there, but as a people group, they're gone, they, they don't exist anymore, and there's tons of people groups in the Bible that are mentioned, all their neighbors, they're not there anymore, the Arabs are still there, but Egyptians are still there, but uh, well, Egyptians are kind of Arabs now, but um, Arabs are still there. But of all the people groups that are mentioned, they're just gone. And other than uh, well, Persians, Babylonians are kind of Arabs now too. Anyways, my point is, there's tons of people groups that disappear. The Jews got moved around more than most people groups, and yet, and and they have assimilated. As far as people, there's Jews of every color now, depending on what part of the world they ended up in. But uh, but they still keep to these uh, this Passover, for instance, and it is amazing. Thirty five hundred years later, it's it's a, a clear picture of God at work, and. And actually, there's probably never been a more hated people group. Um, you know, the the Assyrians tried to, I don't know about destroy them, but I mean, they conquered them and they, they moved them to assimilate them uh, out of existence. The Babylonians did the same thing. But then you had in the time of Esther, you had them trying to destroy all the people, just obliterate them. You had... Uh, Obviously, Hitler tried to destroy all the people. You, the uh, Stalin was kind of similar, not not to the extent of Hitler, but um, somewhat similar. You had um, who am I missing? Um, 
Well, in the story we're about to get to, they, they chase after him. I don't know if they're trying to destroy him or just make him slaves again, so that probably doesn't count. But I feel like I'm missing one big one, and I, I've, I've seen somebody else make this point, and there were a few others mentioned that were probably smaller. But anyways, um, the, <laughs> the enemy has worked very hard to destroy this people, and it hasn't worked at all, and it's it's pretty amazing. Anyways, the um, the the plague comes, and all the firstborn in Egypt die, even Pharaoh's own son, and uh, this finally brings him to his knees, and he he calls uh, Moses and Aaron to him in the middle of the night, and says, "Okay, fine, fine you can go." He's he's uh, had all the signs, but his heart was hard, and he. He was not willing to see that the sovereign God was at work here until his own son was taken from him. And so then the you know, the people begin to go. So the, the you know, the people were given all kinds of good silver, gold, clothing from their neighbors and they and they left. And the and the people were glad to see them go because they saw the hand of God was uh, wanting them to go, so they wanted them to go too. They think we're all going to be dead here if y'all don't get out of here. So they had spent exactly 430 years to the day in Egypt, and the people come out, and and then they, you know, explain the ordinance of the Passover. And God explains, this is holy. This is not for for people outside the people of God. This is for the people of God. When He explains the the lamb should not have a broken bone again. When we see Jesus on the cross, he's on the cross next to two other men on crosses. They have their bones broken, but they notice Jesus is already dead, and they don't break his bones. Again, a a picture of Jesus' fulfillment of this ordinance. Then God does make provision for people. He says, you know, if people come and they're strangers, they're not not Israelites, but they, they want to become like you, then here's how you make them become like you. Uh, circumcising the flesh was really important. We see why that's so important later on in the New Testament. Of course, God teaches us that we should be circumcised in the heart. And then the Lord brings them out of Egypt. And uh, we'll get into more details of that as we go on tomorrow. But that's it for today. May the Lord bless you.